up, everybody? I'm JJ John Dostromsky. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's The Answer. My name is Chris Ryan. No Sirit this week. She'll be back next week. This week we have an awesome show for you. I had a conversation with Musa Kwanga and Ryan Hun from Stadio. It's the Ringer's international football soccer podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts. It's on on Mondays and Thursdays. You can catch those guys talking about all the big European leagues. They're really the global game. And it's always really fun to have cross-sport conversations with those dudes who are also two of them quite big basketball fans so you know we were coming to the end of the all-star break there was only so many ways you can talk about Harden Simmons before actually getting to see them Harden should be playing tonight uh for the Sixers uh this evening so I'm really excited about that there were some games last night we need like an alarm on any time DeMar DeRozan has the ball with 30 seconds left now apparently this guy is like I don't know like Every night, like he's legitimately making a push to be put in that MVP conversation. So it's really exciting to watch him. And no matter what seems to happen to the Bulls roster, DeRozan is there to carry them. It's pretty amazing. Uh, also, fantastic Grizzlies-Wolves game last night. The the rise of D'Lo. I was on a text thread with Chris Vernon, who is just apoplectic about how D'Angelo Russell seems to just absolutely torch the, the Wolves every time. Uh, scary John Morant moment, but it looked like he was okay. But just an exciting, pesky Two young Western Conference teams going at it made, made me really excited for what the playoffs have in store. We'll get back to regular basketball next week, but let's get into my conversation with Ryan and Musa. It's about what we can do to change the NBA, what we can learn from soccer, what soccer could learn from the NBA, player transactions, all sorts of stuff. Really great conversation. Everybody have a good weekend. All right, my buddies are back. Ryan Hunt and Musa Kwango from the Stadio Podcast, my favorite football podcast in the world. It's on the Ringer Podcast Network. You can find it on Ringer FC. Ryan and Musa, how are you doing? How are you, man? I'm doing fine. I'm good. <laughs> I wanted to have you guys on today because we had sort of been chatting on our WhatsApp group uh, about doing a collaboration pod. Again, you guys have been on before, but I wanted to talk a little bit about... I don't think we've been on the answer. Have you not been I on the answer? Musa has. 
I haven't. Musa got the call. I never got the call up. Did I do the answer? Maybe it was just the Ringer the NBA show before. I don't know. But it was Ringer NBA. It was Ringer NBA. I think. Okay. You went on Ringer NBA. We went on the watch that time to talk about. Oh, that's right. All or nothing. That's right. We talked about Tottenham all or nothing. I'm not Chris. By the way, I'm not coming on when the Arsenal one drops. You can have Musa on. <laughs> don't be I'm a coward. Come on. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I wanted to have you guys on because, you know, we had been talking a little bit about the NBA adopting an in-season tournament, but basically comparable to the FA Cup. And just as we were recording this podcast yesterday, I believe Kirk Goldsberry, who is a former colleague of mine at Grantland and uh, still works at ESPN, published a piece for ESPN.com that was basically a reimagining of the NBA. It was a reimagining of the sport, both in terms of the way the season works uh, schedule-wise, and also the way the court dimensions are laid out, the way the game would be scored at the end of the game. It was a pretty comprehensive reimagining, and I thought it would be a great jumping-off point because Kirk borrows a couple of ideas from international football. But I got to thinking, you know, in basketball, I think that there's like a really, really highly engaged perhaps too online contingent of basketball media and fandom <laughs> where they're constantly trying to like improve the game right. or and I, I count myself as among these people who is like a little bit over concerned with um, reinventing the wheel. Hmm. And I was curious whether or not you felt like that sentiment also exists in, in international football. Like, do you guys feel like you spend a lot of time thinking about how the game could be improved, how the schedule could be improved, how different competitions could be improved or is it something that's like a little bit more stateside and that, that that impulse to sort of constantly be disrupting and changing and making more efficient or making more of a better product, so to speak, is is a more of a distinctly American idea. Musa, what do you think of that? The thing about basketball, I think it's the structural, right? So there's so many more scoring opportunities for basketball. There's so many more variables you can measure improvement and change. And in football, there are vastly fewer, which is why I'm warier, I'm more wary of tampering with it because like the variable affecting the scoring of a goal, you don't get any goals in 90 minutes, whereas in basketball, the concept of a nil-nil draw is just, they would think it was match fixing. Either you'd have to like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Either everyone would be teleported to a different multiverse <laughs> um, or there'd be match fixing for it to be a nil-nil nil draw. So I think that the variables and the, the nature of it form, and this is me being fair to basketball as a sport, it's really exciting because not just there's more ways, you score more often, but there's different ways you can do it, right? So where I kind of overlap with the desire to reform, I think with basketball, is just the stamina issue and like what the players are put through. I think as well, like the, the nature of franchises in basketball, the fact that franchises can be uprooted from communities and be moved around makes the product different. You look at the development of football, for example, and some of the sports, I think that optimizing a team's performance is more important in basketball than it is in football because football, people can happily support a team that is like terrible yeah. for yeah. years on end. And I don't just mean an NBA team that tanks for a few seasons. I mean, a team that is historically terrible. You can have a team that basically loses for a hundred years. We have that in Berlin, right? Amateur teams in Berlin, and that's part of the identity. So I think the the, the dynamics and nature that both cultural and structural of football mean that it's less inclined to want to reform like basketball is. Here are those, those amateur Berlin teams. That would just be be Knicks fans yeah. <laughs> anyway yeah so Ryan, Ryan so. well I was going to say the I'd, I'd hit everyone with a disclaimer up front because there's nothing worse I imagine as a US sports fan or indeed an American sports fan than hearing two guys from England living in Berlin <laughs> coming on an NBA podcast and telling them what's wrong with the NBA but I think from a football point of view I think we do spend a little bit of time talking about how the game can be improved but weirdly I think it's because of a different reason to what's going on with the NBA at the moment and it's the fact that 
the governing bodies in European football specifically and world football, if you look at organizations like FIFA, they are, they're actually the people trying to reform the game. Yeah. And no one kind of wants it. <laughs> I know. So it's more, it's more of a, okay, I, I often have this thing with, with the way that uh, soccer is run by governing bodies in the, in the sense that they seem to be really, really good at identifying problems and valid problems often, but the complete worst at finding solutions for those problems. Would offside be... Uh, uh, like an example of that no i was i was, th- I was thinking more of the uh, world cup every two years and here are the reasons why and the you know the the head of fifa who is the go- the global governing body of, of soccer suggesting that if the world cup did happen every two years then that might stop the migrant crisis from north africa <laughs> so this is the level that we're dealing with we're not talking about like slight changes to the arc we're dealing with guys who you know, uh, I think I wrote a tweet once about it saying it's like trying to fix a, fix a burst water main with, with a single Rizzler, you know. Right. And for for our American audience, do you want to tell us, say what Rizzlers are? Uh, well, <laughs> let's just say Swishers, Swishers aren't huge in, the, in England. Put it that way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess that there is, there is that, um, there's that slight difference. I mean, I think that Adam Silver... Uh, at least in his public-facing comments, if I had to guess, I would imagine that he would probably be a little bit more aggressive about changing the shape and what basketball looked like on the court and off the court. And that a lot of it is because his hands are tied because he essentially works for the NBA owners. I mean, there isn't an independent governing body of basketball. Adam Adam Silver isn't an employee, essentially, of, of the collective of the NBA owners. And... All these ideas, and, and Kirk lays out a couple of them that I wanted to bounce off you guys, but uh, mm. all these ideas are essentially at the mercy of these NBA owners saying, like, well, that affects my bottom line, and that's unacceptable. Mm. Right, right, absolutely, yeah. So the number one one that Kirk brought out in the beginning, and Daryl Morey, the uh, the president of the Sixers, has also uh, kicked this around. He, he mentioned this, I think, on Colin Coward's podcast a couple of weeks ago, was this idea of shortening the NBA season from its traditional 82 games to a 58 game season that would mirror like the Premier League style play every team twice. This would I think certainly solve a lot of issues with like Musa what you were mentioning about player stamina. It would like allow players yeah. to basically play two college basketball seasons in their in in a professional season. So the college basketball seasons are about 30 35 games. And then you know you basically like double that when they get to the pros. So it's a little bit more in touching distance with the amount of basketball that players are used to playing. And then I think also it just creates much more night-to-night intensity yeah. uh, in, in the regular season games. Now, the immediate stopping point for that is that like all of these NBA owners are going to be like, where's my, where are my 24 extra game night tickets coming from? And the receipts and the money and the concessions, everything I get from that. And that's the stopping point. You know what I mean? Like mm. that's really like the thing. And I, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm... I wonder what would happen if basketball basically was governed from by a, a body that was decoupled from ownership of basketball teams. I feel a little bit on the fence about this. I like the idea in theory because I think that there are a lot of pros for it in a sporting sense, purely in a sporting sense, because I know that the main the main obstacle will be the financial side of it. But purely from a sporting sense, it kind of removes... Well, it gives you a truer sense of franchise strength that season or squad mm-hmm. strength because everyone is playing 
everyone twice. So you you eliminate these, you know, if you have like a really really strong division, and and then like three teams in that division, like three of the best teams in the NBA are clustered in one division, it kind of skews the standings a little bit because those sides are always the sides that are playing each other more regularly throughout the season. Yeah. So from a purely sporting sense, it's great because you can actually literally see, okay, everyone played everyone twice. This is how it looks. The the financial side of that is obviously the thing that's gonna gonna stop it. But also I wonder whether there's actually is there an appetite? Because for me, for example, I think if 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 the schedule was was slightly tweaked in the NBA, um, it would be really, really appealing and each game, like you said, was had almost like an extra importance but i think it's quite easy for us to to talk about that being in europe but is there i know i've heard bill talk about it sometimes and you've talked about it sometimes but is there an appetite for a shortened season do you think amongst fans i think that when we've had unfortunately had lockout seasons or uh pandemic shortened seasons or when whenever there's been like an artificial shortening of the season for the most part i think people are a little bit like the scarcity of nba games and also the like the feeling that you know, the season has a little bit more intensity because of its shortness, I think is welcome. And I think th- there's this interesting thing. I love one of the reasons why I love listening to you guys is that you're able to be very um, clear eyed about the machinations behind the game mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. also maintaining the sincere passion that you had for it when you first fell in love with it. You know, and just about, it, it, I mean, just, it, just yeah. about. You know what, though, it, it's like it, does, <laughs> it, it tries its very best for but I think that what happens when you start to cover a sport professionally is that you become increasingly cynical about the sport itself and you spend so much time thinking about it and so much time watching it and so much time reading about it and so much time talking about it that you can't help but want to essentially like um, optimize it or you know make it different than what it is but when we were Mm -hmm. kids I doubt that I gave much thought at all to how many games the Sixers would play in a season. I probably didn't watch the Sixers nearly as much growing up as I do as a, a somebody who's paid to follow the sport. And I sometimes wonder whether or not sports aren't really meant to be covered in this way. And that that's part of why we then have like this reaction to like, well, we have to shorten the season to make it more important, or we have to, we have to do this or we have to do that. Moose, does that make any sense? Or am I, am I going off on it? No, you're completely right. I was thinking about the Zion Williamson, for example, and like, and I love JJ Reddick. He's an amazing pundit. And then I saw it and I thought to myself, my goodness, like, he's discussed this individual event, the Zion, on like two or three different podcasts. And like, there's been reaction to the reaction to reaction. Yeah. And this is not his fault. It's just what happened to this particular story. And it's like the comment around basketball, specifically basketball, there's so much noise. Like you can say, a player can tweet or say one thing and it's been dissected six games later. That is ex- that's exceptionally unhealthy for anything like the media ecosystem in terms of how it's discussed. So what you're saying as I was listening, as you were listening, and I was kind of, t- I was thinking, I was sort of filing through my brain and thinking, my God, like I watch and I consume more NBA podcasts than I consume NBA games. That feels like a problem. Maybe, not, and I, I'm someone that started out obsessively watching NBA games and now different things are taking my attention in a very insidious way to the point where, you know, some pundits, and this is not JJ Reddick, I think he's amazing, don't get me wrong, I think he does what pundits should be doing. Some pundits have become like film stars. Some pundits are like better paid than a lot of people bring us the spectacle that doesn't, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. Unless, of course, that's the point of the entertainment. 
<laughs> and this is what we're going to come back to. I think we're going to keep coming back to this podcast as a refrain. Like, what is the product? Is the product the players? Or is it the controversy? Is it the noise? Is it the attention? Is it the engagement? What is the actual NBA product? Is it the game? Is it the quality of the basketball, right? Mm -hmm. Because actually quality has never been a problem, never will be a problem. Like we've had, you could argue now, the quality of the NBA exponentially just improves. Like the types of players we thought, look, everyone goes, oh, he's a unicorn. Put it this way, you hear that phrase, oh, he's a unicorn in the NBA. We probably had more unicorns in the last five years of the NBA than the previous 25. <laughs> we're oh, coming we've out of our ears. <laughs> we've never seen a player like Durant. We've never seen a player like Kyrie. We've never seen a player like Harden. I'm like, oh my God, like because the quality of basketball, and this is thanks to people like Adam Silver, right? Yeah. The innovations they brought in, opening the league up to European players. The quality is not in doubt, right? So the question is really like, can we ensure that the product that is the NBA, because it is a product, the product remains the entertainment on the court and not off it. How mm -hmm. do we maximize that? that makes sense i mean i to, to your point i would say i've probably as a liverpool fan have read more about manchester united and tottenham's struggles this year than about liverpool and manchester city's successes who are having astonishing seasons Histo historic fine when things are going well yeah <laughs> no but <laughs> i think <laughs> it's but I, the, the same thing is how i think people have read more about the lakers than they have about the suns this season mm. Which you is know, wild. People it's, it's would ridiculous. rather read about the palace intrigue with the Lakers and whether or not LeBron is turning on Palenka and whether or not he's going to leave or whether or not they're going to have to reimagine this roster one more time around him to make another title push and what his comments at All-Star Weekend meant. And then you're like, oh yeah, by the way, Miami is having an amazing season. You wouldn't know the Heat were top in the East. You wouldn't know. If, if you just followed it casually and like, everyone was like, oh, they can't, they can't follow what they did in the bubble. And I was like, oh yeah, the Heat, they're awash. They're top in the East. Yeah. There's no concept of that. It's wild. Sorry to jump in. But no, not at all. That. I mean, so I wanted to kind of go through some of these uh, ideas that Kirk had. You know, I mentioned the 58-game season. Ryan, one of the things that you had mentioned to me was that you had some thoughts on this idea of like an in-season tournament that the, that the NBA could have. And especially if there was going to be a shortened regular season, I think that the opportunity would be there to do something that would mirror like the what, what England has in the FA Cup. Well, first, I need to shout out Caleb Hirsch, who is a Stadio listener from the states uh, big soccer fan big nba fan family played in college were coaches serious players all this kind of stuff i think he's a trailblazers fan i don't know my condolences uh, <laughs> but um he hit us up after fa cup weekend a few weeks ago and basically wrote us a really lovely long email saying you know i love the magic of the fa cup why couldn't that happen here especially with all the talk around a mid-season tournament being floated about Mm -hmm. um for those who aren't aware of what the fa cup is it's it's known as the oldest cup f football cup competition in the world i think it's 150 years old this year uh, so this is the 150th season that the fa cup has been going ahead and any team uh can compete down to the 10th tier of english football I think the record amount of teams that entered any one year, I think, was about 10 years ago, and it was 763 different teams entered in the tournament. It would essentially be like if March Madness was open to junior colleges, community colleges, yeah. any any, yeah. any athletic department, Absolutely. basically, right? And, and there, are, yeah. there are a few preliminary qualifying rounds for the small clubs, and then Premier League clubs enter at the third, proper, third round proper. So you get this wonderful mixture of semi-professional clubs you know guys who have day jobs um this is the men's fa cup specifically you also you yeah. know, the women's fa cup because of the football ban in the uk is still catching up 
but it still has that same magic even though it's nowhere near as developed with with the men's you get these wonderful you know uh, arsenal a few years ago we went to play sutton united which isn't too isn't too far away from where my dad was living at the time and they played on an astroturf you know artificial pitch now sutton have made it into the football league so they're in the fourth tier of english football which is now the fully professional league they had to get rid of it and get a grass pitch because of the rules so things like this you get you know there have been clubs that i've played for occasionally who whose first teams have been in the FA Cup, you know, that kind of thing. So Caleb wrote this really great email, you know, saying how it could help restructure amateur basketball as well in the US where there isn't, there doesn't, I mean, I'm not sure if this is hugely accurate because I don't know, but trust in what Caleb says, he's, he said that there isn't really an infrastructure for really well-organized amateur basketball to the level maybe that there is in soccer in Europe. Mm-hmm. Like for example, Musa and I both played for the same uh, teams within the same club in Berlin, soccer-wise, we literally trained twice a week. And, you know, we would play in a league in Berlin and we could play in a proper Berlin Cup. And if we won that Berlin Cup, then we would go into the National Cup, you know. And then eventually, in theory, the team that I think I played for could, in theory, go and play against Bayern Munich. Right. You know, which is wild, right? Um, yeah. In Germany, the cup system is really great because in the first round, the, the top Bundesliga teams have to play away. So they have to go to the smaller teams and play in their grounds. So this may be, I think, going back to what we were saying before about the shortening of the season, the first thing that comes up is gates or money. So mm-hmm. there could, in theory, be, you know, those other, what, 24 games could be made up with receipts or money or prize money or TV money from this little mayhem of a tournament that happens in the middle of the season where you could in theory say for example have a super amateur team from like i don't know let's say like the bronx or somewhere like that who might end up playing the lakers right (laughs) but then yeah but but from that point of view as well it's really great because like we do Wrighty's house on ringer fc as well with ian wright who you know arsenal's second highest goal scorer of all time but he didn't turn professional until his early 20s because he was playing Sunday League amateur football and no one no one picked him up at a professional club. And he made it really late because Crystal Palace saw him. So it also creates this really interesting possibility of what if there is what if there are just like hundreds and hundreds of amazing ballers that have slipped through the system who maybe didn't go to college or maybe kind of fell into a different I don't know, world or line of work or something, who then turn up and drop like, I don't know, 20 on the Wizards. And you're like, right. what the <laughs> fuck is this? This is incredible. Yeah. You know, and, and all of the stories that that create, that could, you know, create contracts. It could create, you know, even G League spots or something like that. Have the G League teams compete, you know. So part of the problem is that the United States, I mean, I'm sure I'll be proven wrong, but for the most part, professional basketball is still linked to the NBA. So like the G League is made up of teams with associations to NBA teams. There isn't really like a championship or first division of of basketball here. I was going to suggest that. I was going to say when there is a tournament, make it like March Madness, which I adore, by the way. When I was in the US uh, for a bit of work a few years ago, it first discovered March Madness. I was on a high school exchange actually doing a some editor project and it was mind blowing, like the March Madness. Have March Madness, but then it's the franchise, it's the entire organization, including G League, right? And here's the thing, have a roster selection of players from the NBA team and the G League, 
right? Mm -hmm. A coaching roster, a blended roster of NBA coaches and GD coaches, right? So MB and their affiliates, and they form an organization as a one-off. They're like every year they bring together brilliant players in the G League. And let's say like, because imagine like the Warriors, for example, with their G League, like imagine how Steph Curry would embrace, imagine like him, like just dapping up like some kid you've never seen right. before right. and feeding them the ball like when they get hot and Steph just passing up the shot. Steph like, you know, drawing three men, a triple team and just like kicking it out and someone just like dropping threes everywhere. Imagine Clay and Steph just like hugging some dude that you've never heard of before. It's magical because that exposure, right? And do it March Madness style, one and done with the Elam thing. I, I love this kind of um, the NBA focus of like certain amount of points wins or whatever. Yeah. That was another one of Kirk's suggestions is to adopt Elam and yeah. Do a March, do a March madness, one and done, and turn it into like a Rucker Park thing. So basically make it make does that make sense? That's what I do of is because that that sufficiently differentiates the, the tournament from the NBA. It's showing you players you've never seen before. That profile could maybe win some of those players' contracts within the NBA or Europe, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just incredible showcasing. It's so different from the NBA product that no one's ever going to say it's an NBA title because it's not. But what you're showing is the ability of superstars to play with unknown players and elevate them and them elevate each other. So one of the issues is that I think you guys have mentioned the FA Cup and you talk about the romance of it and the magic of it. It's hard to fashion magic and romance and tradition and history out of thin air, right? So I think that when Bill has talked about something like, I think he called it the Commissioner's Cup or something like that, it was a little bit closer to what you guys have in the League Cup, which is mm. mostly what the first two divisions or is it Premier League mm. and Championship or it's top four who can in the League Cup? Top yeah. four leagues is the League Cup. Mm. So even if you were to do, let's just say, we were going to do a tournament that just featured NBA teams. And in the mm -hmm. early rounds of the NBA of this, of this in-season tournament, it was probably unlikely that the all-star level talent would play. It would be like the night. If the Warriors were in an opening round uh, League Cup match, Steph, Clay, and Draymond would probably sit. Yeah. You know, maybe Wiggins would play or something like that. But for the, like, let's just imagine it that way. It's basically like, how do you incentivize those guys to want to compete? in that kind of competition and what's the sort of goal is it giving is it a, a financial reward for the players on the on the team like is it actually like a purse or is it something closer to you get a first round draft pick or you get uh 10 million dollars in salary cap space like are you incentivizing the individuals or the franchise i love like all the permutations of it ryan what were you gonna say yeah i think that's why i i would lean more towards if you broke it all up and then pulled a mixture of players together then there's no real incentive for the franchises and there's no real incentive for the leagues and also then you kind of go into a bit of a trouble where you have like franchise players going and playing for something that isn't strictly like an nba thing and it gets a little bit murky yeah. with like what if someone does an acl in there and it's just like uh okay shit so i think you'd probably the way that if you were going to do it and i would again stress that i'm reminded of something that i i had a back and forth with some guy on twitter who as we know is a very balanced debating platform um when i wrote a piece about the super league the the european super league that failed last year and there was a line in there that because of the the lack of promotion and relegation where he basically accused me of calling all u.s sports invalid <laughs> and i really patiently tried back and forth to say no 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 i just mean you know from this structure it's it's integral to the competition in the NBA or in closed um, league controlled necessarily leagues that are, you know, franchises are assigned and expansions are agreed yeah. and stuff like that. 
it's a different thing. You don't need promotion and relegation. Actually, I, I, I think promotion and relegation would, I'd be against that in the NBA, personally. I wouldn't like to see that. I think that the franchises in there, especially, it's not perfect. You're never going to get a perfect thing and you're never going to fully eliminate tanking, even with lotteries. But I quite like the cyclical nature mm. of, of teams in in the NBA. And it's something that we always say would be really great in in soccer, actually. You know, accepting that, you know, your team is going to suck for a few years and then maybe you might get better kind of addresses that inequality mm. a little bit because all of the wealth and strength is funneled towards yeah. the top, you know, like historic teams. Musa, if that would change the talent distribution in soccer and it meant that like Chelsea didn't get to sign every good 17-year-old exactly in the Western Hemisphere. And then loan them maybe, <laughs> Yeah, maybe that if Norwich got to draft Pedri, like that would be pretty cool, right? Oh, shit. Mm. <laughs> To be honest, with drafting, I'm a bit, um, I have mixed feelings about drafts. Like, you see the Zion Williamson Williamson thing and James Harden. The the reason I've got an issue with drafting, I think, is when I look how American athletes are treated with trading. Yeah. And this brutal, Mm. the brutal nature of trading. Like, a player can be traded in theory, like, you know, (laughs) half time or during a game. Like, it's so brutal. You're up and you're leaving. And it's almost like, I think there, for me, are some unfortunate... How do I say this? I know what you mean. I don't like the idea of a play. I mean, it was Zach Clowe did an incredible thing on this. He was talking about Zion and everyone else talked about Zion and his lack of commitment. And someone said, hang on a minute. You can give the bulk of your NBA career and these aren't long careers. You're tied to a city for maybe five, six years where you don't want to be. That's absolutely wild, actually. That, that, I, th- I think that's awful. Like, I think that's awful. I think that's legitimately awful. I think, you know, draft someone for like a certain period of time, but make that period of shorter where you've got to be there for. If it's two years or something, which is perfectly normal, two years doesn't affect your development. If you go to a club and the club isn't particularly good and you spend two seasons there, you can put yourself in the shop window and after two days decide, I'll move on. It's a bit like being a trainee at a law firm, right? You train at a law firm for two years, you develop and you can move after two years. It doesn't work out. The thought of keeping people locked into contracts for several years, and some might say, oh, they're multimillionaires. What do they care about? Well, you have responsibility to entertain and to be the franchise face for five, six years. And if you're miserable there, I'm not sure why you should remain there. So I'm, I like the idea of a draft in terms of redistributing talent. And just to say, respect to Chelsea because their academy system is so good that they're making everyone else look bad. And they're making it look as if they're hoarding talent, when in fact what they're doing is creating talent or developing talent. So I think I'm for a draft, but I think the restrictions on the players should be reduced once the draft happens, if that makes sense. I definitely agree with you on that. And I think that the the one plus point of the, say, the transfer system, if you like, or the, the, the player market in, in European soccer is that no move would happen really without the player wanting to move. So clubs usually reach out through or yeah through intermediaries before that and, and kind of get a sense of whether the player would want to move roughly how much they'd want in terms of salary because the sat uh, the contracts aren't transferred like they are in the nba um so i i think you're totally right musa and th- like for example no one really in a club would be sold after a game uh, and they would they would never move unless they absolutely wanted to like the player has the right to refuse personal terms with the club that is trying to sign them you know which is so maybe something like that in the nba would be quite good you know instead of being like right you're going to the pelicans well i dare say that we're kind of there at least with the upper echelon of talent in the nba so this is the last thing i wanted to talk to you guys about was the 
you know, we just got through this yeah. uh, Simmons and Harden saga uh, in the NBA, oh my and oh. uh, there's already noises being made about Zion. There's always there's already discussion happening about what will happen with Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal in the summer. As soon as one sort of protracted will he or won't he uh, story comes to an end, another one starts almost immediately. I'm very familiar with this because I follow european football and that's the same that's the same sort of scenario where we've been talking about what will happen with paul pogba for longer than maybe like what for three years now i think we've been talking about what what paul pogba is going to do and whether he's going to stay at manchester united or whether he's going to go to psg or whether he's going to go to real madrid there was these sort of massive tectonic shifts happen with messi leaving barcelona to go to psg now Kylian mbappe uh is is on is on sort of on the clock in terms of whether he's going to stay at PSG or leave. You know, in the NBA, it's the lifeblood of like what we do is to talk about roster construction and talk about player transactions. But Musa, do you think that when you look at the way football is covered and also the way teams are built, like do you feel like those kinds of uh, that kind of player movement is subsuming the game itself? Ultimately, I mean, maybe I'm an idealist. I'm an idealist here. I think that ultimately the spectacle is everything, right? Like there's a lot of talk. I mean, look, there's so much talk about Kendrick's new record. Uh, we have an artist in the UK, Jay Huss. Everyone, Jay Huss went on Twitter and was tweeting like, frankly, gibberish for days. And everyone was like worried about him. Then he dropped one of the greatest albums of recent times, Big Conspiracy, and everyone shut up. The same with Kendrick. There's so much noise around Kendrick and like, there's so much noise about Kanye and Drake. But if Kendrick drops an album, it changes the entire conversation. So deep down people, all this conversation is just, it's just distraction and waiting for the main event. I think the problem in basketball is like, I worry that the conversation is detrimental to the players themselves. That's my one concern. Not everyone's a Kevin Durant. Not everyone can be on Twitter. And and I'm not sure how you deal with this. Don't, don't be wrong. I'm not sure how you actually address this, but not everyone can be like Kevin Durant and be on Twitter and like clap back at someone with 20 followers and then go on court two hours later and drop 50. Not everyone's built like that. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm a bit concerned about the impact that all that exposure 24-hour news cycle is having on on athletes themselves but that's that's as far as i could say it. that makes a lot of sense. Makes sense do you think that it's having an impact on on the paul pogba's of the world i don't know well it's always hard to tell because players front up players front mm -hmm. up but then you see some players that have like taken away their instagram accounts for years like players quietly deleting their social media because they can't read it before games um and you hear other stories anecdotally about players just like being obsessed with checking their phones straight after matches and it affects them. Like, And because footballers and athletes in general are basically like, it's all about bravado, you won't know how much this stuff affects people, but it really does and also affects people around them. So I look at um, Manchester United, for example, and Marcus Rashford and the challenges he's had. I'm not blaming Marcus Rashford's activism for the challenges he's had. I think he's had, you know, injury, sure. surgery. I don't think the constant like the scrutiny is helping the 24 hour news cycle. I don't think that helps. And that would be the case whether or not he was doing media or not. I just think that that 24 hour focus, Ryan, I don't know how you feel about this, but that doesn't end anywhere good, I don't think. No, I totally agree. It's almost like an ecosystem within its own ecosystem. It's it's something that you see it all the time in football. Just every, there are many, many journalists that are football journalists who only really operate for the transfer windows and transfer speculation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, January, when there's a win a month-long window where it reopens in the in mid-season, that's kind of a prime time of year for them. And then again in the summer. But it is, it's, you know, like the famous 
it's a 365 day long sport you know and it's the same with with soccer but um i'm not sure how how accurate it'd be but kind of looping back to some of the stuff that we've been talking about i think that my my general takeaway from this and this kind of goes on from what you were saying chris about transfer uh, trade speculation is that i wonder whether actually reducing this the, the length of the season in combination with like none of these one thing like single things i think is going to like for quote unquote fix the nba to be honest I'm, I'm not entirely sure if the actual game itself needs fixing i quite like the nba i like that yeah, I, I like the, i like the nba a lot i like yeah. that you can I like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that you can spot up in the corner and you've got a couple of less feet to shoot and you get three three points like i like that um i think with with reducing the schedule maybe i think it'd be really interesting to see what actual players thought about it because I know that there have been changes in what happens with press going into the locker rooms and stuff like that after games, but you'd have you'd be in front of the camera less as a player. You'd have more sure. time actually mm. just in the gym and practice with your families uh, too. More yeah, time you with your families, more personal time, yeah. And you would actually have less. Like for example, you know, look at the Kyrie situation at the moment as a prime example. There would be less, or f- there would be fewer, sorry, instances. And I'm not necessarily going to bat for Kyrie here because I know that you know all of that kind of stuff about vaccines and right. stuff is a is dodgy territory but for example there would be less opportunity there would be fewer opportunities to talk about that because there would be fewer opportunities that Kyrie wasn't out on the court at the Barclay Center yeah right you know? also I mean like bad seasons wouldn't go on as long so yeah. if you were a player and you were Damian Lillard and you're disappointed with the Blazer season guess what it's going to be over 25 games earlier yeah you don't have to like be hauled around to like Memphis when you don't want to on a Tuesday. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Well, we can wrap it up here. I just wanted to ask you guys, uh, I want to have you on like maybe during the playoffs and stuff, but 
from from your perspective in Germany, like what's been your favorite part of this NBA season? Musa, we could start with you. I just was curious what, what you've been really enjoying since rather than talking about how to tinker with it. I'm going to be really, really lazy. And um, I love Steph Curry's arrogance. <laughs> I love it. I just love the kind of the fact that he's just bust out the gate. Like people are like, oh, this man, like maybe he's past the peak or whatever. And, you know, had the shooting slump and just is, he's such a great, face of the league I think you know there are several faces of the league but he's just so we're so fortunate actually I've got to say that in a season where you know some of the stars have not really shown out fronted up or you know I'm not going to go against the player uh, for being unhappy with his franchise that's something which is between him and the franchise but Steph Curry just in terms of the vibe right like the way and I mentioned him before in relation to the Warriors like the inclusivity he brings to the game like you just feel like as close he, as much as a superstar he is you still feel like he gets it. Yeah. And it feels really important to have people that that look at least like they get it. And also like, shout out to Luka Doncic, who was just like lighting up everything. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a really, I've, what I've loved. My boy. And also to be honest, can I say just before I go, I love the Mavs trade. Dinwiddie. Oh, yeah, he person goes out. Yeah. I, lo I love it. I love it. Because that was always the, listen, the, sorry to go. That was always an imaginary, what Paul Zingas could bring was always like, it was always a fantasy, right? Yeah, it was all but potential. Din Dinwiddie gets the confidence back. The Mavs are going to be something, man. I'm excited. Oh, Dinwiddie anyway, shout yeah. from Musa. Ryan, what listen. Do you think? There you go, man. The, sorry, the take police. <laughs> this is a, you can hear him in the background. I mean, I've really enjoyed watching Joel Embiid this season. I just think he's so. I don't know because there were those first uh, first few years when he was at Philly, and I think we, I don't know if you felt the same as an absolute diehard Sixer, Chris, but with that that run of drafts that draft picks that they had and none of them seemed to really work and you were a bit like is this going to be another guy who's going to basically just break his body by the time he's however however old because he broke his body pretty quickly after being drafted yeah. right he was done well he was he came in and he had back problems he had foot problems and, that's it and yeah. Stuff, yeah so seeing him fully i don't know flourish i suppose is is, is the word has been amazing and also just just really like take charge with the whole yeah. Simmons thing you know I just think it was yeah I think he, he's been so good to watch I mean he's he's bullied the Pacers this season which hasn't been great but you know, you know like a lot of the times in both sports you hear uh people say like oh well this person is in their prime you know like they're 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 hitting they're in their prime mm. and mm. I I think that that's like a pretty abstract idea except when you watch him beat because you're watching somebody who is actually like in total control of their body, but also in total control of the game. Like I think his IQ and his his like understanding of how to marshal forces, how to make passes, how to play off of double teams, how to draw attention, how to expose mismatches and stuff like that has just been fascinating to watch because he's had to do a lot of it himself this season. He doesn't have Ben. He doesn't have you know Tobias is pretty good. Tobias Harris is pretty good, but he's not necessarily like a guaranteed 25 a night guy so it's really falling to Embiid now his and career's now. had three acts hasn't it actually yeah. Embiid he's in the yeah. third act he had the first mm -hmm. injury ridden the second where it couldn't go either way which you might all potential with the kind of, yeah all potential then mm -hmm. also the, you know the Raptors just getting ahead of them and that could have people forget that could have been the Sixers year it could mm -hmm. have been and then now this third act where you know the Simmons thing has fallen apart and people are laughing at the process and he's like actually no Turns out I was the process all along. The process was actually <laughs> trusting. The process was actually trusting me. Yeah. To be the fake. Does that make sense? It's almost no, like that that's was, his. Yeah. That's his whole identity. Is he was just yeah. like. Turns out that I was the process. So he was the his, process. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, I've also just really enjoyed watching Chris Paul yeah. this year. 
And I've never been the hugest Chris Paul fan, even though obviously he is one of the all-time great point guards. But I don't know why. There's something about Chris Paul that I just never... It's going to be fascinating to watch the Suns without him for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That sucks. But as a Pacers fan, obviously, the Halliburton... Can I say this? Can I, can, sorry to be fun. rude about this, Ryan. Just pick, I want to pick up something there in a very substantial fashion. I think that to be a sports fan, you need to have at least one huge player that you should love, but absolutely can't or don't. Yes. That's the, the essence mm. of being a sports fan is you've got to have... A, I think everyone's got a Chris Paul, right? Like, you know what I mean? Unfortunately, mine is James Harden. It's <laughs> <laughs> your yeah. problem now, Chris. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think I like I, I really love Chris Paul now. It was like those those I don't know, I think those Clippers years for some reason I just found them a little bit like oh, everyone's talking everyone's talking about the Clippers, and every time I see them, I'm like, really? Really? I can't let you go you guys go without asking you this. Has there ever been a football player who's played for your club and you've just been like I can't believe I have to cheer for this guy now. Dude, as a Manchester, <laughs> as a Manchester United fan, as a Manchester United fan, I'm trying to avoid lawsuits. No, as a, as a, put it this way. Put it this way. Right, the great Dennis uh-huh. Bergkamp, one of the all-time great Dutch footballers, one of the all-time Arsenal greats. Uh, when Arsenal moved to the Emirates Stadium, he had a um, essentially like a farewell game. It was the first game in the stadium. It was Arsenal legends against Ajax legends. Cruyff played. All of these people played. He retired before the season started. Arsenal signed William Gallas in part of the Ashley Cole deal from Chelsea. William Gallas, who was a centre-back, and deeply unpopular because he'd just played for rivals Chelsea, who were flush with the Abramovich money and had won the league, decides to take it upon himself to be the very first person to take the number 10 shirt off <laughs> Dennis Bergkamp in case it. And honestly, it's one of the all-time football crimes. Like... Yeah, honestly, I mean that's that's that tops it there for me. Yeah, that's the worst. That's amazing. <laughs> it's one of the worst days of my football fandom life. And then you were like, I guess I have to cheer for this guy for three years. Put it this way, and then 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 he gets that's appointed right. captain. You can listen to Moose and Ryan on Mondays and Thursdays on the Stadio podcast, and you can often hear them on Ian Wright's show, Ready's House, which comes out on Wednesdays. It's all in the Ringer FC feed. Uh, guys, thanks so much for joining me, talking a little hoops today. That was a pleasure. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us.